Welcome to the Marketers That Matter Visionaries Podcast, hosted by Nadine Dietz, the GM of Marketers That Matter and EVP of 24-7. The marketing landscape is constantly changing, but we believe that when marketers at the forefront come together to share insights, you can confidently lead yourself, your teams, and the industry into the unknown. The future is here, and it's moving fast. So let's bring on the visionaries from today's top brands pioneering the future and get this conversation started. Hello and welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Nadine Dietz, GM of Marketers That Matter and Executive Vice President of MTM's parent company, which is 24-7. Today, we are excited to share a special episode from one of our live forums hosted at the Roku headquarters in New York City. We brought the marketing community together to dive deep into an exciting new frontier of commerce, which is all about clickable, shoppable TV, the new way to engage unengageable audiences. To help us mine this incredibly challenging yet exciting topic, we brought in five dynamic speakers who all have a very different point of view, but all doing some very cool things in the space. Starting with our host, Dan Robbins, who is the head of ad marketing and partner solutions at Roku. We also welcome Brian Bettler, who is the founder of Soon and GM Live Shop Ventures. We welcome back Kaylin Thornton, who's been on Visionaries before in his former role as CMO of Gatorade. But now Kaylin is the head of sports, entertainment, and gaming across all of PepsiCo brands. We also welcome for the first time Susie Whaley, who is the first female president at the PGA, now the president at Golf Nation, and remains an active commentator for ESPN. And last but certainly not least, Nick Buzzle, who is the CEO at NBTV Studios and Channels, who has a dynamic background in media, film, and all things shoppable, clickable TV. So to kick us off, we asked Nick to give us a framework so that we had something to ground ourselves in before we dove deep into each of the components. We hope you're going to enjoy this very special episode. I learned a ton, and I hope uh, you do too. Uh, And we always love your feedback, so feel free to give us a call, shoot me a note, write us a review, leave us your thoughts. We always welcome anything and everything you'd like to contribute as we think about the future episodes. With that, we hope you have a terrific day. Thank you so much. Um, so this is such a big, new, wide world, right? And I think we were talking about this in our prep call. It might behoove us to actually start with a little framework, because when we think about all the new options that we have in, at our disposal now, I I don't think there are a lot of people that understand how diverse and huge this space is. So, Nick, I'm going to call on you to help us out. Can you give us a little bit of a definition of this ecosystem and what we're talking about. Happy to. Um, so anyone ever heard the term fast channel? And are you familiar with what a fast channel is? Who who knows what a fast channel is? Just, yeah, yeah. If you, see, it's not that many, right? So fast is an acronym that essentially means free ad-supported streaming TV, which really for all of us that are old enough to remember is really cable. So what what's happening now is they're taking the cable grid from the cable box and they're putting it on televisions and Roku televisions and other televisions. And then also there are streaming services like Zumo and a bunch of others that are aggregating these channels, but it's a linear stream and there's ads that run in between it, you know, 30 second, you know, 60 second ads. The second thing I think you hear a lot about is like video on demand or advertising on demand video. Anyone hear that? Yeah. So 
those are really what Netflix is, right? So Netflix is video on demand, right? And that means there's no ads. I know they have an ad model, but we won't confuse ourselves with that, right? And so that means essentially you, you can click and watch and you watch it without advertising. And then there are these hybrid models, which is like what a Hulu is, right? Which has an ad option and now Netflix too, an ad option and then an odd ad option. And then there's also the shoppable side of this, right? So, or video commerce as we call it, or video on demand with commerce. And what that means is that you can actually make a transaction happen. And in some cases, you can make it happen right through the device, which is something that we believe is what the consumer will be most likely to do. And then you see QR codes. And I think there are some partners out there that are using QR to drive this. But the idea is that you could take an action on that device and make a purchase. And there's also, of course, the two, you know, ad units, right? So there's one which is a, a commercial, a spot, a TV spot, an ad that runs. And then the other is branded content or brand funded content and narrative and editorial, right? And then there's the ways that it's distributed. So you've got TV, connected TV, smart TV. I believe the technical definition between smart and connected is does it have a device in it? Meaning smart TV is like what Roku's launching, right? Where it's all in one thing. And then a connected TV um, is got the device, you know, in it, either an Apple TV or something connected to it. And then the, the other piece to this, which is the mobile aspect, is you have like store where you'd go and download you know, a Netflix or a Hulu, and then you have the web. And so the app economy is very similar to what we saw happen in mobile 20 years ago, where now we're going from apps in mobile to apps on TV or apps on connected TVs. And um, the idea here is that when you think about all of this, it all still comes down to the same things, which is everybody wants to know what is the ROI, right? How does this work? How does this scale? How do people get it? Younger consumers have, who did not grow up with cable, this is the only way they usually get the stuff, right? Consumers that have a blend of both, there's other ways to get to them. And even the cable companies like Comcast and some of the others have made their cable boxes smarter to try to keep that part of it going. But I think the, the important takeaway of like the vernacular here is that it's, it's all streaming, right? It's all app-based. And the TV, the connected TV in particular, is acting more and more like your mobile phone every day. It's almost like you now have a computer hanging on your wall. Is that helpful? That was helpful for me. Okay. How about you guys? Any quick questions to ask of Nick before we move on? You can, have, you can ask questions anytime. Just let us know and I'll come bring you a mic. Um, Dan, let's talk about Roku. What are your thoughts on this given you keep expanding the ways that Roku is in this ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really exciting time for everything that Nick was talking about. One thing that we think about our Roku is that our mission is to connect consumers and advertisers and content owners in a world where all TV is going to be streamed. And the vision is that TV can be made better for everyone, that you can take the power of the computer and you can put it on the wall and that you have all of the interactivity and the personalization that you get in the digital world, but on the largest screen in the home. And we started in that journey by creating little players and sticks that you plug into your TV 
And then we actually took the operating system and worked with TV manufacturers. So you get a Roku right out of the box. And from there, we've expanded into building our own TVs as well. And along that journey, I think what's always been exciting is taking the TV that we love and making it bigger and better and bolder and more engaging. And one of those opportunities has been commerce, the ability to not just see a sweater for Jennifer Aniston in a show, but buy it there. To not just see an ad for a PepsiCo product, but be able to buy it as well. And to me, what's exciting is that we can make shopping on TV as easy as it is on mobile. Because over the last 10 years, we've really all learned that you can easily shop with your thumb right on your screen. And opportunity, I think, for all of us is to figure out collectively, how do we bring that same scaled opportunity to television? And I think everybody here is working and thinking about that in a different way. And, and to me, it's very much a big part of the next frontier in a world where all TV is streamed. Amazing. Thank you for that. And Brian, you spent literally the last year almost in a stealth mode running HSN and QVC and building this new app called Soon. So tell us about that. Yeah, happy to do so. It's interesting. So I appreciate this context on on making television, making video more shopping. We tend to say that we think the future of e-commerce is v-commerce, right? We think that the movement is towards video as the primary focus and, and way of discovery. Not that people won't shop stores, not that people won't continue to use static uh, websites. For sure, they will. But increasingly, the demand is going to be on, can you tell me an emotional story about the product that I'm, that I'm working in? And, and at Curate Retail Group, we believed forever that shopping is entertainment in and of itself. Right. So sometimes when you think about the, the television experience, you think I'm going to watch a piece of entertainment and then brands are going to bring me things to discover during that other experience. Or you may go to a social platform where the experience is to see what other people that you're interested are doing. And along that feed will be products and ideas that are presented to me. We fundamentally believe that shopping owns itself as a form of entertainment and that people will tune in and do tune in just to discover new products and brands that they want to bring in our life. So our story at Soon was to go, how do we think about evolving our model and what's next for that? We've used traditional long-form television as a form of entertainment and shopping for the past four decades. And our goal now is to go, how do we think about a young consumer who consumes most of their television on a small device, right? So I have, I, I am a father of six. Um, I have Gen Z through millennial, young millennial in my home. And I've watched the pattern of entertainment consumption change. My youngest is 12. She almost never watches a television. But she watches a lot of TV, right? So she watches a lot of content. She just does it on the small device. So soon was about saying, how do we turn this small device and shopping into the entertainment vehicle itself? And we had to build a new platform to get there because part of making shopping work, which is what these guys are all working on on the television screen as well, is making the transaction experience frictionless. And it's still got a ton of friction if you're on a television or even if you're on a, on a, on a small device and watching you know, your favorite streaming service or you're in your favorite social platform, everybody's trying to defrictionize that. And we realized we've got to build a platform that's all about the entertainment, shopping as entertainment first, that's all about making the experience frictionless and all about making the experience personalized and customized. Because that's the last component of this is I want to watch things that I want to watch and I don't want you to serve me things I don't want to see. And so we built a platform, and that's what Soon is. We're bringing you shopping entertainment where the brand is creating the content, we're creating the content, and the content is entertaining 
and it's selling and it's entertaining and it's like that's the role of why you tune into tune into the content and you do it with your thumb because that's where a young consumer is doing most of their most of their watching and viewing right now amazing congrats on the launch by the way and Susie, as the first female president of the pga congratulations by the way you made this big jump over to golf nation what drew you to it well, first, I have to agree that shopping 100% is entertainment, and I love it. And so, yes, you're right. So I went to the right place, but I was the first fat president of the PGA of America in 104 years. So that gives you a little idea of what the PGA of America looks like. We're 4% female in the organization, 29,000 members across the country, and golf itself is a quarter female and 75% male. And so much of what I was doing as president of the PG of America um, was ensuring that we had processes in place to make sure the world knew that golf was for them, trying to make golf look like more of the communities we live in and that we serve. 70% of the golf courses around the country are public, not private. So it's a misnomer that everything is private in the game. And how could we get the message out and invite people to the game in a way that was authentic? And we put a lot of those things in place, which I was proud of, but it's a huge huge mission at the PG of America to turn a very, very big ship. And so there are a lot of things that we didn't get accomplished that I wanted to get accomplished, which mostly was showcasing women's sports, showcasing non-whites in sport, and ensuring that we had an opportunity to also honor those that play the game at a core level that typically are a white male. And how could I do that in a way that would tell the story, but that would showcase the world that actually plays golf in media? Currently, if you watch media, you'll pretty much only see men's golf. You'll see a very small portion of women's golf. How could we change that? And how could we disrupt the model in a huge and enormous way that people would consume it because they love the game, they love the food, they love the beverage, they love the travel, they love being with their friends, they love the health and the wellness of golf. They might suck at golf, right? but they still love golf and still want to play golf and want to see themselves in the game. We at Golf Nation are committed to that core objective. We are going to show the world who actually plays the game, how they can be a part of the game in a way that's truly fun and entertaining, and at the same time, give them that shopping experience um, that I cherish and I know so many people like me I cherish that are in the game. And so that's, that's why I said yes to Nick. I also happen to love our team. I think our team is fantastic, and um, I only work with people that I enjoy being around, so. That's it. Amazing. And big, big uh, endeavor ahead. So good luck with that. Um, yeah. Also, congratulations. Just launched recently, right? Yes, we did. So uh, we'll be up on an app in a week. <laughs> so I'm told, um, which I'm super excited about. And uh, hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I hope you all check us out. I hope you take a look at our, co we, have, we have original content, curated content, licensed content. Um, we're building content as we speak in Costa Rica. and. Um, I think you'll think it's really cool. I, I hope you'll let me know. Absolutely. All right, Kaylin, um, saved you for last because you're the man who has to choose where you put your dollars. Um, and what is Yikes. your now next new framework when you think about all these new options? Um, it's, um, it's a good problem now in being able to think about all these various ways in which we ultimately want to connect with our consumers. And so before I get into now, next, I think Brian said something on about the emotional connection piece. And that that's, to me, 
that's the heavy lifting. That's the work that needs to happen before you get to the last mile of the marathon where the transaction takes place and you convert them and, and, and the shopping takes place. But to get to that emotional connection, um, you need to think about what, where I'm at right now. And the now about that is how do I actually build an authentic relationship with the consumers and cohorts that I serve? That can be done through a myriad of ways. It can be done through product. It can be done through the partners that we that we work with, whether it's an athlete, whether it's a league. Um, but that authenticity, particularly when you're in an organization like PepsiCo that has a multitude of brands, we think about that constantly. What's the right story? Who's the right partner for Gatorade versus Starry versus Rockstar? And it's a complex dynamic. Um, so that's one thing. Um, if you think about Starry this past all-star that was launched at NBA. That was very purposeful on the positioning and who we were trying to serve. And then where do we tell that story is where you get into the conversation that we're having today. Um, another piece to that is that sometimes you want to tell a story across multiple products. Uh, and so that's another dynamic. The next is really what you kind of teed up for me, like as an investor, as a marketer, how do I think about the future of uh, media mix modeling and where do we, I tell these stories and how do I get targeted against the audiences that I want to connect with because I'm under-indexing with them? And then where do I get scale? And so this constant ebb and flow about how do I think about planning that out is something that needs to be dynamic, but it, you have to be ahead of the game. A lot of these conversations take place at the beginning of the year. So having your crystal ball is something that we're still trying to figure it out. And then the now next, I'm sorry, what's the third one again? The new. Thank you. The new is really, really interesting. And it goes to, at the end of the day, back to the storytelling, but the, the endorsement model is evolving quickly. And even though Nike and Gatorade kind of created sports marketing and we were able to get a return on investments simply by being on the sideline, Nike's able to get a return on investment simply by being on the field. And then as consumers see that, that was helping us drive our products. Now, whether you're a league or a individual athlete or a creator, they're no longer just sponsors. Like it, they are their own media enterprises. They have their own objectives. They have their own incentives. And so now it's much more of a, almost a shared equity model. So thinking about how we not only enable that um, with those partners, but then also come back to these channels that we can tell the story on, that's, that's, that's the future. What does that look like? You, there's going to be a day and age, it's already started now, where creators themselves are, are driving their own brands uh, and leveraging some of the tools that we're talking about today. So for someone like myself, that works in sports marketing and entertainment, um, it's just an interesting dilemma. Like, do I go with the individual? Do I go with the platform? How do I continue to serve my brands? All back towards the beginning of really creating that emotional connection with consumers. Thank you for that. And um, we're going to talk about measurement uh, pretty intentionally here and also in the breakouts because this is part of the hardest hardest thing for marketers right now. Um, Brian, I think it was interesting the way that uh, as a retailer and Kaylin as a brand, um, a consumer facing brand. I think it is interesting how you came up with the name even for soon. Um, because you also are a creator studio at the same time. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? So it, thinking about shopping as a form of entertainment, the names, so the name soon is spelled S U N E, but it is very much an intentional play on the word soon. And part of that was, as we looked at the type of content that brands would create on our platform that we'd create on the platform, Right. The notion is to create this emotional connection through a story that brings a sense of wonder and discovery, but has a bit of urgency and impulse to it. 
And so as we were sitting around the room and brainstorming, how do we get to this idea? We thought, look, you need to shop soon or you're going to miss out. And then we realized we couldn't trademark soon. Um, and so we spelled it differently. Um, right. But the intent is that's the whole point, right? Shopping soon is fun. Shopping soon is important. We want people to make, particularly in this drop centric culture, we think about Gen Z, they love the drop. Those who come from Nike and other places know that better than others. And the notion of getting something unique and getting something special and, and getting it first mattered. That led to the sense of building urgency around, around the platform. And our focus is on brands, candidly, that are underdiscovered and, and may not have a lot of assortment. I mean, most of our launch has been, and we've been overwhelmed with the response we've received from the, from the brand community going, man, I want a place where I can tell the story. Um, and we want to build an audience that has a large following. And so as an undiscovered brand comes, we believe they're going to need to shop sooner. They may not have the assortment left if you don't drive on that. But that's kind of the, the genesis behind the name and the business and, and the model that we're trying to build. What I find interesting about that is you're giving these smaller undiscovered brands the ability to create their own content, put it out there, sell their product, and the content is the is the store. It's the retail. So, and as a brand, Kaylin, how do you guys think about, you know, do you have any, obviously some things are confidential, but do you have any idea on like, how do we, how do we think about the ROI on some of these things? Yeah, I mean, the ROI is definitely... Uh, now, it's an evolving conversation just based on whether or not it, big brands have different uh, challenge on how they navigate what we're talking about versus smaller brands. So some of the upstarted ones can be more provoking, thought provoking on how they go to market. They can employ these scarcity models um, in a way that basically are still growing. So it doesn't affect the P&L, but brands the size of PepsiCo and Gatorade, it's harder for them to go that direction, even though Nike does it. It's it's a part of the plan. Like it, it's calculated. They still have the scale that they need to get in order to drive the business. So, um, so it's interesting. To your point on ROI, it's back to what I mentioned before. That balance of when do we need scale? When do we need to get in front of the masses in a way that will help move the needle? And when do we need to be nuanced and targeted? And some of the things that are challenging for us as we evaluate ROI that is, there's only so many dollars, so many media dollars to go around. There's only so many partnerships dollars to go around. And some platforms, like if you look at live sports in particular, over-index in areas that aren't going to help us with the future of, of growth. And what I mean by that, like 65% of viewers in live sports right now are still male. Um, Susie was mentioning that the other day on the opportunity for women. So as we're thinking about how we're going to connect more with women, like how are we going to reach 50% of the population if they aren't on the most scalable platforms? And what's the trade-off between that scale versus going to find where they're at and, and you know, and, and engaging them. Uh, so that's one piece of it. And then the other piece I'll mention, and I'll pass the mic back, is for a model like PepsiCo, the emerging like shoppable commerce and, and even direct to consumer, some of the things that we're thinking about, um, they're still growing parts of the business. We have a vast customer network. And so we're thinking about how do we partner with some of the other retailers um, and, and continue to drive that more immediate ROI. And so some of these platforms and channels are going to help us accelerate that. We're still learning. We're still used to traditional models. And so there's also some capabilities that need to be shared internally for us to be able to realize it moving forward. I love that. And I, I love the, the example we were talking about when we were all talking through this. Like, it's one thing to add like a, a gold wash to uh, your basket from your television screen and order it. It's another thing to put in a single Pepsi. Like, where is it going to come from? Right. Um, so 
Um, interesting situation there, especially it gives you yet another dimension. How do you work with your retail partners as part of the equation? Um, to make things even more complicated or easier, because usually innovation is, is meant to break through. Nick, you actually have taken it one step, two steps further. I mean, you were well before your time in this space and you just earned a patent on not only a product showing up inline TV that also shows up across TV, desk, web, all at the same time, same basket, but it has a product recommendation engine attached to it. Do you want to talk about what that means? Yeah. I mean, it's something that uh, I'd love to tell you I invented it. I was a co-inventor. Uh, our CTO is also my dad. So it's very helpful when your dad knows how to build software. Um, but uh, he and I have been noodling on this, honestly, for 22 years. I mean, easily. It was shoppable video. And when I was at NBC Digital, um, I was part of the, it was called Nuco at the time, but it became Hulu. And I saw this trend happening a long time ago. And I thought, how cool would it be to be able to actually just buy stuff real easy, no matter what it is. So about four or five years ago, I was like, I think the timing is better because, you know, there's a challenge sometimes being too early. Right. Um, and so he built the, the technology and then him and I and the team kind of continued to refine it. But what we found was that discovery and that personalization were probably the two biggest needs. I still, you know, today, um, if you look at the experience of watching even Netflix, I mean, let's be real, right? I mean, we, you know, Roku's our friend, right? We love Roku, but you've got all of these, you've got Paramount, you've got uh, Disney Plus, you've got Netflix, you've got, uh, you know, eight different passwords. I mean, anybody with kids who lost the password for that one, right? Like, you're looking, you got to re-authenticate. You can't watch old episodes over here. You got to get over new episodes over there. So it, we're what we're doing, and I think the biggest issue in the industry is that the business of media distribution is actually doing what it's done for the last 75 years, which is doing business for itself as, as best as it works for itself. But if you really look at the consumer journey, it's a mess. And consumers are, are, are kind of getting overwhelmed and fed up. So the idea of recommendation was a big aspect of this uh, technology, and then the idea of personalization. So when you come into one of our channels, whether it's Spirits Network or Golf Nation, we ask questions. You don't have to answer them, but just like when you join Apple Music or Spotify, we're like, what do you like? You know, I like to golf. I like to eat, you know, barbecue food. I like whiskey. I like tequila. You tell us as much as you want. And the more you tell us, the more that we actually make recommendations. But then what we do is we look at the, the consumption and we see that you're looking at tequila. We see that you're looking at golf. And then we make more recommendations on that as well. So the, the theory is over time, the smarter it gets, the easier it'll be for consumers to find. And that you won't spend 45 minutes looking for what to watch, ideally. And you'll actually spend more time on the platform to do that. So we, we developed the technology to do it. We're the only company in the world that can sell alcohol on a connected TV. And we're doing it with other regulated products. Um, and you can probably use your imagination on where that could go, right? But we're also doing it with non-regulated products, which is what is so exciting about golf. But here's the cool, fun fact. The reason we launched Golf Nation, aside from Susie helping me play better golf, uh, is because 60% of our audience and spirits said they were interested in golf. 
So we looked at our own data and we said, let's launch a channel and use this technology. And the next channels that we'll be launching using the technology will also come from the data because we can start to see what people are interested in. So more fishing where the fish are. But our number one mission with the tech, right, is to make it consumer friendly. If, the, if it's so easy that even your grandma can do it, right? And my grandma is on Facebook, so she's maybe not the greatest example. She knows how to do a lot. But the idea that you could actually make this that easy, one click by, you know, remote voice, so that it's not this like, I got to get my credit card, my authentication, you know, did you use your email or my email? You know, it, it's just, it needs a lot of work. So we're at, I think, the first inning here. Um, and it's, it's exciting and I'm excited to see what everyone on this panel is doing because we're finally here talking about it. I mean, it seems like yesterday, um, but thinking that, you know, Hulu is 20 years old, you know, uh, Netflix is, is, is a little bit old, a little bit younger, but the idea that the evolution has now got to this place, it's really exciting, but it's going to require education, right? Marketers have to believe and trust in it. Organizations have to invest in it. Um, it's not going to fix all the marketing problems in the world overnight, uh, but it's a good step, a really good step. Can I, can I just add one more thing? It goes back to even what I was saying before, but uh, you mentioned it front on brands. The number of conversations that brands need to have now as there's more and more networks is growing exponentially. So it used to be you'd go and upfront and there was a limited audience and now you're doing new friends. And now with these additional platforms, economics of it, I think, are still in the first mile. And so it's just cost prohibitive. Even if we wanted to, we can't the same um, amounts. We can't invest the same amounts for networks that we used to and linear the way we used to because there's just not enough dollars. And so I think that's another part that will have to mature, to your point, making it frictionless for consumers, but probably going to be some maturity that needs to happen on how brands engage so that we can make smarter decisions or the pricing may need to evolve. So that's another piece that we think about often. Amazing. And I just got a flag that we completely ran out of time already. Where did the time go? Did it, did, that was incredibly fast, but I want to get us to our breakouts because I know you guys probably have some, some good ideas and some questions. Um, but Dan and Susie, since we haven't heard kind of your vision of the future, can you help close this out? Dan, where are we going? Future streaming. And then Susie, what inspires you? with what you've learned in launching Golf Nation? I think two things that were mentioned that really come to mind, and I think actually pull this all together is, you know, the first is, is as you were talking about, Nick, discovery, all of those services are on our platform. And one of the things that we think about is ease, choice, and simplicity, making the streamer's journey as straightforward as possible. And a lot of that has been about making the discovery process easier, whether that's, you know, our sports zone, which takes all of live sports that's happening and puts in one place or it's featured free that takes everything that's awesome and free across our platform and puts it in one place or universal search. So you can pick up your remote, speak to it and figure out where a show is and automatically jump in. I think there's a tremendous opportunity in commerce to be able to do that same thing, bring ease and choice and simplicity into streaming. One of the first things that we did as we began our journey into shoppable ads and commerce was a partnership with Walmart so that you just pressed okay on your remote, on a product, and then the uh, order delivery from Walmart showed up in your email. And so there's no credit card, no phone, no QR code. What we've seen in some of those early results is that uh, the conversion rates when you're just clicking OK and you don't have to take out your phone and scan something, it's about 10x higher than just, again, something text to phone or QR code. 
And I think the lesson there, which is exciting, is that when we can make it simple and straightforward and easy and delightful, that's where the opportunity lies. And that's true across everything that we're doing. So to the question of where do we go next and very much being in early days here, it's that ease, choice, and simplicity that I'm most excited about. And I think we've got a ton of opportunity to collectively make better. That's like a mic drop, um, which is great. But you know, all I'm going to add is about Golf Nation specifically and where we're headed and where we're going to the point of your question. So golf is an $86 billion industry domestically alone. Of that industry, we have 32 million first time ever in 2023 that we've surpassed off-course players versus on-course players. So there's a meeting of the minds in the middle there. How do we make sure that we get the emotional attraction and give them what they want consumably from those who don't play the game maybe every day or who are just going to a top golf or going to a putting green with their kids to those that are constantly playing? There's a huge market space for that, not only domestically, but also internationally. And we are international right out of the gate. So we have this amazing opportunity to market to the world, not only in a consumable space of those who play the game nonstop, but those who are picking it up for the first time because of COVID, which is really exciting. But as we go forward, Golf Nation won't be the only sports venue in this network. We are going to go across all sports that have the opportunity to have video commerce and streaming. Golf Nation is just our first case study. Amazing. Visionaries is brought to you in partnership with The Wall Street Journal and made possible by our parent company, 24-7. To find out more about the Marketers That Matter community, visit marketersthatmatter.com. And finally, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave us a rating or review and let us know what you think.